Well, good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is March 9, 2023. And we would like to start this message right in the scripture. It's a scripture that perfectly expresses the sentiment of our hearts when we think of you, our family. We're going to open up in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, and we're reading in the ESV. It says, we ought always to give thanks to, to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Saints, when we look around, this is what we see. We see a faith that is growing abundantly. We see a love for one another that is increasing daily. And it is right for us to thank God continually for the faith that is growing in abundance and the extraordinary display of increasing love that y'all have for one another. Man, my wife, Patricia, is my witness. This is my, this is my dream come true. Before I was not at LCM, I was hungry for God and for people who love them in the same way that you guys do. That it would lay your lives down because the kingdom is all that matters. People whom I could fellowship with knowing that the kingdom is our priority. would be the one thing that's in common before anything else. Amen. This is what we call home. Amen. It's something to be proud about. Amen. Now, we know about John the Baptizer, right? Yeah. We've heard about him lately. Yeah? Okay. Well, John the Baptizer was what? Was a lamp. Was a burning light. Upon which people would receive, would choose to, to, to go under that light and, and let that light shine upon them. But there was an appointed time for that light to shine. Yeah. The time didn't just span forever. There was an appointed time for John the baptizer to be the light that he was called to be. John was a lamp that burned intensely. Intensely for the purpose of the next generation. Amen. Burning better and more brightly than him than he did. Amen. It was not for him to for, for him to burn and everybody watch. It was for him to burn and set others on fire. Amen. Therefore, there, there are two aspects of this shining of, of light that, that we want to focus on uh, starting up this message. These are something some things that the Father highlighted as we were wrestling with the message that came forth on Sunday. And, and it was causing things inside our heart. The appointed time is a limited time. There's an urgency to what we're talking about. You don't have forever. You don't even know if you're going to have tomorrow. There's an urgency about this. Did you feel that? Y'all feel that on Sunday? Did you feel the sense of urgency? Did something awaken inside of you of what must be done now? Amen. There's also an intensity with which we must shine. Realizing that there's a limited time is not enough. There's an intensity to that light to shine brightly. So as we were engaging with this message, and I was, and I was just praying, and in my alone time, I was feeling two tensions. I was feeling the tension of, of I am secure. Uh, I have everything that I need. My Father is with me. I am actually a righteous man. He has made me a righteous man. My family, I am leading them in, in a righteous path. I am raising up my family and my daughters and my, my son. And, and I am working and I'm pouring myself out. And on the other hand, I had another side of that tension. And it is that what I have is not enough. 
It's that, that even though I may say it's, it's enough, I'm hungry for more. Yeah. Why am I hungry for more? Because I'm not yet walking in what I see the scriptures proclaim that every son of God should walk like. So I'm, we're faced with these two tensions of, yes, Father, thank you so much. And by grace, I am what I am. And yet, I need more grace. Amen. Yet, I, I need more. Because when I look at my daughters, they will learn how to live in the kingdom by how I live. And that sets a tremendous responsibility. I need, the time is short, and I need to burn brightly. And this is what, what was stirring in our hearts after that message. I have two tensions. I am securing God, and yet I, I, I still want more. I, I, I want more, and I need to have more. And you will see this in this, in this, uh, in this sermon. You will see this carrying us through the entire sermon. So I'm going to ask everybody to brace yourselves. I'm going to ask everybody to tune in what we're saying today. Because we feel the Father moving with power. Amen. We feel the Spirit moving unlike, you know, just a simple service. He's moving with power today. Not because Paul and I are preaching. It's because it's what the Father is doing. Amen. He's taking us to a place. He's bringing us to a place where there is something to be grab hold of we need it we're hungry for it and it is time so let's go to proverbs 22 verse 6 you know this verse it says train up a child in the way that he should go and even when he's old he will not depart from it this verse sets the expectations rightly the child or any other person the next generation that you're pouring into needs to be trained in the way so that they will not depart from it that is if we're going to burn brightly for the next generation to catch fire, there's an appointed and limited amount of time for this to happen. There is an appointed and limited amount of time for you, to, for you and I to burn intensely and brightly. Yeah. A dim light is not sufficient or is not acceptable for me and shouldn't be acceptable for any of us. There is an appointed time and there's an intensity with which we must burn. We are confident. We are so confident. Yet we are so hungry. It drives us to desperation and confidence at the same time. In this psalm, David reflects what we're saying today. Let's go to Psalms 25, verse 4. Hey, saints, as you turn there, say, Filling Empty Jars. That is the title of tonight's message, Filling Empty Jars. In Psalm 25, in verse 4, it says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Saints, what an interesting way for David to say this, right? Make me to know your ways. It's like, Lord, I need your ways, but I know I don't have everything. I want it. I'm hungry for it, but I need you to make me to know your ways. Lord, I need you to teach me your paths. I need you to lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. And this verse, it resonates with the need inside of us to be led. It's that hunger, it's that thirsting to be led, to be filled up. And then, as we hunger and we are filled, then we are able to lead others. It's us saying, Lord, we have nothing else to give. Lord, I need you to make me know your ways because I have my own way will not do. 
Lord, I need you to teach me your path because my path will not do. Father, I need you to lead me on this way and instruct me because there are those coming up behind me who are looking to me and watching me. I long for you and I wait all day long. Look at what David is longing for. He's longing for the Lord to instruct him and to teach him and to lead him. This is a hunger that's inside every single one of us. And the Lord is causing us to hunger for more. So you know what we say? I'm done with self-directed steps. And I'm done with my own self-sufficiency. I'm done trying to make up my own way, my own path. I'm done trying to teach others with something that I haven't received from him. What kind of people does God make his path known to? What kind of people does the Father teach and lead in his ways? Because he's not just going to do it for anyone. We're going to answer that question. What kind of people is it the one that the Father makes his ways known, to whom he teaches, whom he leads, whom he directs? What kind of people is this? Let's go to Psalms 25, verse 8. It'll surprise you to know what kind of people this is. But that's the point. Verse 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Come on. Say hallelujah. <laughs> this verse is so good. Just like the Father. It says that good and upright is the Lord. You know, the foundation for this passage is the character of the Father. Good and upright is he, Amen. therefore, it's not about your own goodness and how upright, how upright you are. He is good and upright. Yeah. Therefore, he teaches or he instructs sinners in the way. It seems like an acknowledgement of our waywardness is required. An acknowledgement of how much of a jar of clay we truly are is required. An acknowledgement of our true state is required that causes us to say, Father, teach me, instruct me, lead me, because I don't have in myself what it takes. That's what makes me hungry. Yeah. Verse 9 says, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Well, realizing that, there, that we are a jar of clay, that there are things that are broken inside, and that we have failures and we are not self-sufficient makes us humble it should put us right in our knees and humble us because we do not have in ourselves what it takes humble us before who before the father from whom we receive everything home from every perfect gift comes from without humility we're unable to be directed he leads the humble in what is right the prideful are nowhere to be found here he teaches the humble in his way. We've, we've shown how David was crying out for him to teach him. And that is the cry that we have today. And there is confidence because God is good. Yeah. The confidence in, is not in how good you are. The confidence in, is in that he instructs sinners in the way. Amen. That is beautiful. First Timothy 1.15, you don't have to go there. It says that the saint is trustworthy and full of uh, and full of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I just love this passage, so we had to put it in. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Man, he leads sinners in the way, of whom I am the foremost. There's an acknowledgement of this 
broken jar of clay that I am that he's putting together. And not only that, you will see that he is filling empty jars of clay. David is a man that the father led. A man who had expressed the desire of being a man that's after God's heart. Who was subject to futility, to the futility of his thoughts, of his flesh. But who was humble, sinner and humble. And therefore God led him. We're going to go to Psalm 63 right now. As you turn in there, <clears throat> let's give some context to Psalm 63, verse 1. The perfect leading hand of the Father has brought David to be between the rock and a hard place. At this point in David's life, Absalom, his rebellious son, a son who refused to be poured into, has driven his father David from Jerusalem, and now, he, and now David is in the wilderness of Judah. Picking up in verse 1, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Saints, when we see that David is earnestly seeking for the Lord, this same word is the dawn rising. It is early. It is the very first thing. Earnestly, I'm seeking you. I'm in a wilderness. I'm in a desert. I am physically thirsty. I am hungry. But it's you, Lord, that I thirst for. It is your uh, face that my soul desires. We're thirsty because obedience to God has placed us in accentuating situations. Our obedience to the Father, in this same case with David, his obedience to the Father and not taking matters into his own hands, but seeking the face of the Father, has led him into the wilderness, in, a rock, in between a rock and a hard place. And it's the same thing in our life. The most stretching moments of our life are intended to make us thirsty for God. The Lord causes us to hunger and to thirst for him. This moment is, is making David a much more humble man, right? Yeah, he's out running from his own son, and he's being humbled in the wilderness. Now, when we're giving of ourselves, when we're pouring of ourselves, it's difficult, it's hard. That is the wilderness. That is the rock and the hard place. When we're pouring out and we're tired and we're feeling that weakness, that is difficult for us, and that causes us to cry out to him to fill us up, to fill our thirst, and to fill our hunger. The vitality of our very life is determined by God's willingness to feed us and to give us the water that we need. So every single day, we should be experiencing this and saying, Father, fill me again. Lord, give me what I need again today. But can you get what you need if you're not pouring out? No, you can't be filled up. What this time between a rock and a hard place develops in us is a greater love and desire for our Father. It produces a pure heart cry inside of us to say, Lord, only your sustenance can provide for me. The intensity by which we pursue the Father is only growing as we become more desperate for him. We're not weakening. We are growing in our intensity because we're becoming more desperate for him. Amen. The intentions of our hearts are being purified and sharpened. That is what the Father is doing in this place. Come on. How, how crazy is that David is in a wilderness, in a desert, and he's not crying out for actual water. He's, I mean, the Israelites cried out for water. They cried out for 
food from heaven. They cried out for meat. David, in this place, he's crying out for the Lord. So beautiful. This is the, he's sharpening his heart. And what's, what's happening is that we're going to also sharpen our hearts with this next passage. Let's go to Isaiah 26, verse 8. Come on. It says, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desires of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. So we're eager to be directed, to be taught, to be instructed, okay? But it's not just because, right? We're, we're hungry for his feeling, but it's not just because we want to feel better about ourselves. Our hearts are being aligned with the Father today. This verse says that we wait for you and that your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. This is, this is saying that you're, we're seeking to be filled. We're hungry for him. We're waiting for you. We're walking in the way. And we want you to instruct us. Why? Because your name and your renown is the desire of my heart. It is for you. It is about you and only you, Father. But not only that, in verse 9, when he's, after he says that his soul yearns for him, he says, when your, ju- ju- when your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. This is not just about David and the Father. This is about the impact that this has on the people. This is how the people are impacted by the hunger of David after him. This actually looks like loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. But not just that. It reflects itself in loving your neighbor as yourself. It reflects in the two greatest commandments. And this is David's heart. This is how David's heart was sharpened in the wilderness. This is why our soul yearns for him and why our spirit longs for him. This was David, David's heart, a heart after God. And this heart after God is reflected in a heart that is after the well-being and the empowerment of his people. That is when we have a heart after God. It looks to edify. It looks for the well-being of everyone around you. It looks for the well-being of his sons. It is not just for us to be empowered and feel better and more powerful about ourselves. The kingdom, this kingdom principle that we're talking about is evident in the next passage. Let's go to 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And we're going to camp here for a bit. Yeah, this this passage here is what helped motivate this sermon. As we reflected on the word from Sunday, this is what helped motivate this sermon. This is what we're talking about tonight. And filling empty jars. But don't just act like you know what it says. You may know what it says and get what you need to from it tonight because the Lord is directing our steps. We've cried out for Him to teach us and He's teaching us. Verse 1 says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. So practically, what's going on? One of the sons of the prophets, one of the prophets of the company of the prophets has died. He was a righteous man. He feared God. And here is the widow crying out to Elisha for help, saying, hey, I need something, and, and, I, and I, I'm turning to you for it. Can you say that she's in between a, a rock and a hard place? She's in a place where 
her righteous husband died. Her husband, who is a God-fearing man, is dead. She has a lack of resources, right? And she has the potential enslavement of her two sons. Definitely not the place we want to be in, but thank God there's a prophet. Oh, yeah. Well, she cried out to one that represented God. And that's why this is a happy story. So let's go to verse 2. It says, And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. First things first. What is Elisha, Elisha asking? He's saying, What shall I do for you? Right? To me, to us, this sounds like Elisha has something to offer. Now, it is not money. It is not silver and gold. We know that. But he has something in store for this woman. He is asking with authority. He has possession of something. And so he's asking, what shall I do for you? Have you put yourself in a situation where you see there's a deficiency in the physical and you have nothing in the physical to offer, but you ask, what shall I do for you? That speaks of the authority that Elisha is walking in. Yeah. Then he asks, what do you have in the house? This sounds to me like, hey, what's in your hand? A staff. Yeah, what do you have in the house? Now, her answer is a little funny. He starts with, I have nothing. <laughs> your servant has nothing in the house except, except a jar of oil. Now, why did she start with, I don't have, I have nothing? I think she maybe thinks that um, that's of little value. What is a jar of oil? Okay. What am I going to do with a jar of oil? It's almost, it's, I have nothing. If she thought it was valuable, she wouldn't be crying out to Elisha for help, right? Exactly. She, she has something that she considers is not valuable. But to the man of God, it is more than enough. I know that I only have one jar of oil. But praise God, it's not an empty jar. Oh, come on. Things, things could be a lot harder if that was an empty jar. But it's not. She's got some oil in it. So let's not devalue what we have. Amen. Amen. Jars of clay, you got some oil in you? Come on, yeah. It's been given to you from above. Amen. And your mighty God is going to direct you. It's going to teach you. And it's going to instruct you in the way of faith that Elisha is instructing this woman. Hey, let's keep going in verse 3. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Elisha ceases this moment to teach, direct, and to supply the needs of the widow. He doesn't have anything in the physical, but he knows he has exactly what she needs. He tells her, go and gather from all that's around you, all the neighbors around you. Go and gather empty vessels, nothing in them, and go get many of them. As many as you can get, not too few. What makes the jars valuable, though? Only that they're going to be filled with something. The empty jars in and of themselves are nothing except that they're going to be filled. And the provision, it's not a quick fix. It's not an immediate satisfaction. It's thought-provoking to this widow that inspires action inside of her. Can you imagine being that widow and going and knocking on all your neighbor's doors and saying, hey, got any empty jars in there? Yo, I've got some jars, but it's got some, some oil in it. Or No, I don't want that. 
go knock on the next one and asking and going to all the neighbors around you and asking them for all their empty jars. That's a pretty, a pretty weird situation, isn't it? You're, normally you're going to ask for some sugar. Go ask for some other ingredient that you're out of. But I'm going and I'm asking for something that is empty. The faith that it takes to go around to all your neighbors, asking them for all of their empty jars, is what's going to produce something miraculous. What kind of faith it takes to gather empty jars when all you have is one jar that's filled? What kind of faith does it take to go to all your neighbors and ask for empty jars as if that was anything of value to pay off for your sons and so that they don't get bought, taken? What kind of faith does it take for the woman to obey the man of God knowing that she only has a, a jar full of oil? Let's go to verse 4. It says, this is Elisha's instruction. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself. Kind of like when Jesus went and healed people. He's like, no, you stay out. You got no faith for this. <laughs> go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. When one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And, she, and he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. Man, what a beautiful story. To me, it's just so inspiring that Elisha didn't just pray for her for the oil to be multiplied. There had to be action. Prophetic, faith-filled action that brought oil into these jars. She cried out to God and she received instructions. Hallelujah! Well, that's what, that's what we started with, right? Show me your way. Teach me your path. Instruct me in the way. She received instructions. She cried out to the man of God and he answered. The instructions required faith in action. How important is it that the, that the widow actually follows the instructions? Very important. Critical. Yeah. They're faith-filled instructions for us to follow. And they set principles for us. Yeah. She does have oil. If there was no oil, that would be the end of the story. But she does have something. And the Father is faithful to make the oil abound. If you are faith-filled enough to gather empty jars, even though you only have one jar of oil, He's faithful enough to make that oil multiply. If we are faith-filled and faithful to pour out what we do have, He's faithful enough to multiply that oil. There's some principles from this story that we want to gather. If we have oil, then pour it out with the expectation of receiving abundantly more. Amen. There is no point in keeping that oil and burning it in your own lamp. It'll go away. The point of this is that if you want an endless supply of oil so that you can burn brightly, then that has to be poured out. Amen. We are able to fill as many jars as we have faith to gather. If we do not start with that principle of faith, of I see an empty jar, I see another empty jar, I see an um, another empty jar, and this is what I have, and we're not scared of gathering those empty jars, then the oil is not multiplied. Then submit to the instructions given by God. 
This is faith-filled actions. This is not wimpy actions or prayers. This is actually go and put your feet wherever faith says you must go. Yeah. When there are no more jars, something critical happens. The oil stops flowing. If there are no more jars that we have gathered, the oil stops flowing. This is critical for us. It's critical for me. I felt in this place where I've, I, hey, there's, I'm not pouring out, but I still want more oil. Guess what? The Father doesn't give oil just for you to retain it and spill it over. It's for us to pour it out. Come on. If we want more oil, then we have to pour out what we have received. Yeah. Now, the, the woman did have some oil. But there are times in which I felt dry. And I need to cry out for oil. So that that then can be multiplied. He's, she starts with oil. This is the beginning of everything. Once you pour into me, I will not hesitate or be faithless to pour out. We will gather empty jars because I know that you will multiply this oil and others will be filled. Before we move on to some more incredible scripture, let's talk about some practical examples. Now that we know what these principles are. I have a wife. I have children, I have disciples, I have brothers, I have co-workers, and then not-so-innocent bystanders that I'm passing by each day. Guys, we have plenty of empty jars around us. It doesn't take much. We just have to have faith that if we go and gather and we go pour out what we do have, the Lord's going to abundantly supply to pour in so I can pour into my wife what she needs. So I can pour into my sons and my daughter what they need. So I can pour into the four disciples living in my home. So I can pour into the co-workers that are looking for the truth and they're looking for an answer and they're crying out for a prophet. I have what they need. Those innocent bystanders who have no idea what they, what they need, but you are there ready. Look, we have to have great expectations, and, and that requires a lot more jars. If you want more oil, I want more oil. Do you want more oil? Yeah. Then we need more jars to pour into. You're, you will increase in what you need as you are pouring out, but if everybody's getting full around you, and, you're, and there's nowhere else to pour, then what are we going to do? We're going to become stagnant. So let's talk about what halts the process of being filled and pouring out. Let's talk about what causes this oil to stop flowing. The first thing we're going to talk about is faithlessness. I don't have oil. I don't have what I need. And I don't think God is going to give it to me. Yeah, he's might, he might have done it before, but... I don't think he's going to do it in this situation. That's been me in this past week. I don't have enough. Okay, I have something, but it's not enough. It's not exactly what they need. How do I know if I don't pour out? If I pour out, then I'll just become empty and it won't be multiplied. That's faithlessness. How about exhaustion? Some, anybody feel tired around here? <laughs> Physical, mental Spiritual exhaustion, the kinds of questions that arise in your mind of, is this ever going to slow down? Can I pass off responsibility to lessen my load? I, I don't really care about them growing up the way they should. I just don't want this on me anymore. So I'm going to pass it off on them and they'll find their way. Exhaustion produces that if we give way. It is these exhausting moments, though, that are intended for us to cry out for more. 
Look, what about comfort? I put in my time, fill in the blank. I put in my time on the worship team. I put in my time in the prison ministry. I put in my time in, in home groups. I, I just want my time. I want that comfort from me. I've achieved a self-determined expectation. I've achieved a self-determined standard in my own life. I deserve this comfort. I don't need to keep pouring out. What about comparing my ministry with others? I'm doing way more than they are, so I deserve some comfort. This stops the flow of the oil. When we pour out, it is for the empowerment of others. Saints, when we pour out, it's not just to get filled up to make us feel good. We pour out so that others will be empowered, and that causes the flow to happen in our life. It's meant to make others burn brighter than ourselves. What prevents us from wanting to empower others is selfish ambition. Guys, we're almost done with this list, but I know it's hitting you. I know it is because it's hit us. And this week, the, as the Lord has spoken to us that the, that the dawn is arriving, these kinds of things start to arise inside of us too and want to compete with what the Lord is doing. We ain't going to let it happen in this house. Look, what, it's not about what we have to gain from it. Get selfish ambition the hell out of here. Amen. Control. I just want to be able to control the situation. If I give up this last bit of oil, then there's nothing, and I don't have any control anymore. Guys, we need to get rid of that. It's not about what we can control. It's not about our self-directed micromanagement. We don't need to be in control of the oil. We need to be vessels that are prepared to flow out. Come on. Well, well, there are a few things that we went over. And we're destroying all these things because this message is about actually being filled and pouring out and that happening continually. Okay? But we've been addressing our hearts. We've been redirecting who we are. We've been directing redirecting ourselves to the heart of the Father in this matter. So we're going to look at a few examples. Moses. You know that Moses in the wilderness, he's been leading the people, but not just the people. He's been leading a grumbling and complaining people. <laughs> Since they left Egypt, we've been reading with my girls numbers, and it's like every single time Moses is interceding so that God doesn't kill them. <laughs> the Lord, and, and Moses then starts complaining too. And he's like, this is way too much for me. Like, how am I going to deal with these people? And the Lord's answer is awesome. He says, gather 70 empty jars. Oh, come on. Gather 70 elders. And you're going to gather them to pour that which has already been poured into you, Moses. The Lord poured his spirit into Moses, and now the Lord is leading Moses to pour out his spirit on them. And as great as it was for Moses to carry the spirit and the power, he as one man, he's not able to do it alone. He's not able to carry this weight. He's not intended to. So the spirit and the oil is poured out on 70 elders. And you know the story. They prophesy. They prophesy like who? They prophesy like the one that they have the spirit of. They prophesy like Moses. But Joshua got a little uncomfortable when this happened. In Numbers 11, verse 28... He says, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, from his youth, said, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. On. So Joshua's probably thinking, hey, 
The Spirit is either for you, Moses, or for me, but not for 70. But Moses knows that ideally, this is not a one-man show. The, this is the cry of a, any powerful and confident leader of the people. Moses is crying out, hey, I wish that everybody had the Spirit. Yeah. I wish that I wasn't the only one that's doing this. I wish that everybody would be empowered. This is the cry of a powerful and confident leader. He's not willing or wanting that he be the only superstar in the show. He's not desiring that everybody look up to him, that, that he solves all the difficult situations. What he wants is that every single person have the same exact power that he has. That's what he wants. This is the cry of a true father. I want what I have. I want the same exact thing, if not greater, for you. There is a love. There is a patience. There is a perseverance that is required because this is not about just getting the job done. This is not just about Moses getting through the wilderness. There's a people that are being raised up as Moses is patient and is demonstrating his love and his perseverance. It is about developing those who are coming after him and not simply getting to the promised land. That is, Moses is crying out, I wish that what I have would not just die with me, but that it would be passed down to the others. That it would be passed down to the generations, to the 70 and more. And we know that indeed it did not die with Moses. Because he raised up a son. His name is Joshua. Oh, come on. Hey, saints, we know Joshua got this principle. He understood this. He was taught well by his father, and he got it and demonstrated it. In Deuteronomy 34 and verse 9, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. What? For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Saints, Joshua was full because Moses had poured into him. What he received was because Moses had poured out into him. Moses has the spirit of wisdom, and he gave this same spirit to his disciple and son, Joshua. This is resonating in this place. We are seeing that what God has given to us is not for us. It is for us to pour out into others. All authority of the people, all the wisdom of the Lord, it was given to Joshua through an impartation. It was through the laying on of Moses' hands. And Joshua received the free gift of the Spirit. This empowered Joshua to carry the mantle of Moses. If God had not directed Moses, and then Moses gone and directed Joshua, they would have been without a leader once Moses died. But they weren't, because Joshua received that impartation and was prepared to step into that authority and walk under that mantle. The proof is that the people willingly obeyed uh, Joshua the same way that they did Moses. They could see his shepherd's heart, and it was emphasized in Moses' transfer of authority. When he transferred that authority to Joshua, the people recognized Moses led us. Through our rebellion, through our difficulty, through our complaining and grumbling, he's led us this 40 years, and this is the man that he has chosen to impart uh, this, the spirit of wisdom on. This is the man that we're going to obey and follow. Moses was the leader and deliverer of God's people, and that is who Joshua became. Indeed, Joshua became what Moses was not able to do for the people. Hey, this authority that was given to Joshua was not for lordship of the people, over the people. It was for service yeah. to the people. Come on. 
It was a place not of being exalted. It was actually a place of being, of being burdened with a heavier weight. This was not, oh, now I made it. I achieved. I, I climbed the ladder of ministry. No, this was just the opposite. Now I'm carrying the same weight that Moses carried, and this is heavy. And that is why he needed the Spirit to be upon him. Hey, before Moses laid his hands on Joshua, was Joshua just out in the crowd of the people? Where was he? Next to him. We can see in Moses and Joshua that proximity is required for the effective transfer of authority. We need to be close to the one that is passing on and transferring that authority. This empowered Joshua to lead others by serving them. That authority was, that was given to him was not for lordship, like Carlos said. It was so he can serve them and minister to them and lead them in that. So let's talk about a concept, one that I learned many years ago now, but it still sits with me to this day because it is a good uh, principle for learning what it looks like to transfer authority, to transfer leadership from one person to another. Let's talk about left seat, right seat. Has anybody heard of that concept before? Yeah, yeah a few hands. Raise your hands. Help me out here. All right, so a few hands. All right. Left seat, right seat is, is a concept, and it can be used in more than just the military, but that's where I learned it when I was in the Marines. When, when the time was coming for us to go into a, a specific territory where we were going to be operating, we would go to and, and join with the unit that has already been there, okay? And then as we joined with them, we would spend time with them, and then we would take over that area, and they would move on. And then the process would repeat. Our time uh, uh, in that area would be done. Our deployment would be up, or we're moving to a new area. Therefore, someone else needs to come in and replace us. Okay, so the left seat, right seat is the person in the driver's seat is in the left seat because we're in America, and the, perf the person in the right seat is the passenger, okay? So Carlos, my brother, is coming to relieve me of my duties. I'm driving the truck so I can show him the area. I'm showing him what does it look like, uh, where, where are we receiving contact most, where, where is, is, is the most action happening, or, or this is what to look out for here. These are where the leaders are. You, get, you catch my, my drift? Okay. After a couple weeks of me being in the driver's seat and Carlos in the passenger seat, we switch. He jumps in the driver's seat, and I'm now in the passenger seat, but I'm still overseeing what he's doing. Okay? Now Carlos is driving around, and, and we're still going through the same thing, but he's displaying that he is competent, and he ha he's ready to receive that authority and walk in it and take over that area. You know what that's going to do for the people? They're, the people that have known me for the last seven months are going to look at Carlos and say, wow, this is the man that is endorsing him, and so he must be a good man, and we're spending time together. I'm helping facilitate that relationship and helping it build. Can you see how the Lord is doing that in this place? Yeah. There's not just this absence of, all right, man, thanks for showing up and, and leaving. We're doing this together, and we're making it a smooth transition. So I wouldn't put you in the driver's seat on the first day, right? That wouldn't make any sense, but we do things like that sometimes. We think that's a good way to learn. No, the better way is to be taught by the person who's doing and then have them teach while they are doing it. You should first sit and watch me do it. At, the, at that moment, I can teach you about the landscape. I can teach you about the potential issues. And then we switch seats and I continue to oversee that you got everything that you needed to. So the master's 
watching, or the person who was in authority is watching, and he's strengthening. And then you get out, you continue out the right. You get out the, the passenger seat, and you move on, and that person takes over. It's almost like I must decrease, and my brother must increase. Man, that's good, huh? Now, our master Yeshua, he chose the people that he wanted to be with him from the beginning. He chose them. He handpicked them. He said, my favor is upon you. You have been called. Come close. Get near. Let's get in proximity and watch me. I'm in the driver's seat. You're not. Watch me drive this boat. Watch me drive this car. Watch me go as you see what I do, as you see every single of my moves. As you learn how I walk, as you learn how, do I, how I talk, as you perceive my heart, as you see me and are just close to me, you will start to become like me. Oh, come on. Yeshua has been burning brightly in front and in proximity to his disciples. He's not just taming his light and dimming it. No, his disciples are near and he's burning brightly and his disciples are seeing it. Amen. He has been with them, but not only that, they have been with him. This is not a one-road street. It's a one-way street. It's not like, hey, I'm, I'm, I want to pour into you. And the disciples are like, uh, maybe tomorrow. No, this is like, he's pouring out. I called you. I want to give you exactly what I have. And the disciples are like, yes, master, we will follow you. This is the heart, and this is what is required for that proximity and that transference of authority to happen. They have walked with him. They have seen his walk. They have learned to be who he is and to do what he does. So this is what Yeshua tells them. And let's turn to John 16 and we're going to pick up in verse 5. John 16 verse 5. It says, But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now this sounds just like the example that, we just, that our brother just uh, portrayed for us. There is a time for them to, to walk with Yeshua. There is a time they were sent. There is a time for, getting the, for them to get in the driver's seat. And Yeshua would see them. And he told me, hey, rejoice, not that the demons submit to you, but that your names are written in heaven. He's teaching them the right heart about their ministry and what they're doing. But then comes a time when he tells them, hey, I, it's time for me to go. And it's better that I go because if I don't go, you will never be like me. Because for me to go, I need to go so that you step in my office, in my position, and receive my anointing and my spirit and become exactly like me. There's a time when we stop practicing and there's a time when the, we actually start performing what he taught us and what we are like because he has turned us and made us like him. This is the time that Yeshua brought his disciples to because he was a perfect discipler. He was a perfect leader. leader. His leadership was excellent and that's how he brought up his disciples. They became like him for the purpose of pouring out like he did. So after his ascension, this is what he says to them. Let's go to Acts 1, verse 8. Come on, saints, you're tracking. You've been with us for foundations. 
You know what the Lord is doing. You know how the Spirit is moving upon us. Look at how this continues in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Look, the, the fullness of the authority and the power Jesus wished to impart only came after he ascended. The fullness of what he wanted to give them, the fullness of the authority that they were called to walk in only came after he ascended. Now get what we're saying. He's not just getting out of the picture and moving out of the way. He is also ascending up higher so that we have room to move up. This is what he's doing for the disciples. Jesus' ministry was limited to Jerusalem. However, the apostles, having received his spirit, they magnified him. They went to Judea. They went to Samaria. They went to the ends of the earth. They were doing exactly what he said they would do because he had poured into them. They had received, and now they are pouring out. Saints, what we're learning on, on, Monday, on Tuesday nights, it's no coincidence that we're in the book of Acts right here and right now in this day and age. The Lord is calling us to pour out and then to turn to him and cry out to be filled up more and more. Jesus' intention was that filling his apostles, then, em uh, then the other empty jars would be filled by them. It wasn't Jesus' job to go and fill up every single jar on his own. He went and filled up jars, taught them how to pour out and fill up other jars. This is an exponential magnification of what Jesus could have done by himself but chose not to. And as a good teacher, he raised up others that would be exactly like him and would do the same and even greater works than he did. This process is ever-increasing. They are shining brighter and brighter. Come on. So we know what happened. The apostles did receive the spirit of Jesus. They did receive the empowerment to be exactly like him. Jesus did ascend and left the driver's seat for them. And they proclaimed the, world, the word boldly. Yeah. We've, we've learned this in, in, in foundations, right? Yeah. They were witnesses. I love this concept. They weren't witnessing. They were witnesses. Oh, they have been made into Yeshua, into the body of Christ himself. Therefore, they testified of that which was in them. Their lives were a reflection of their master in, living inside of them. They were witnesses. They reflected it, not by what they said, but first by what they did, who was inside of them. They were true witnesses that came with both word and with power. They didn't just preach little pretty sermons. They went with power and everybody then wanted to hear what they had to say. Come because on. power had been manifested. That's what they went with first. And the boldness with which they preached one day was not enough for the next day. The boldness of yesterday was not enough for them today. And so in Acts 4.29, they say, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Come on. Remember, they had been filled already, but they need more. While you stretch out your hand and heal, they weren't just asking for boldness to preach. They're saying, hey, you, we will do this. And you were asking you that you stretch out your hand and heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the father listened. And the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued, 
They had already started, but they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The flow didn't stop. The flow did not stop. What did they do? They had poured out. They didn't just receive and, and, and stay there holding the oil and being amazed at, the, at what had been poured into them. Immediately what happened is they're pouring out and they're giving their lives and they're facing persecution and they're performing the same miracle signs and wonders that their master Yeshua did, uh, performed. They're saying the words. They're quoting the same verses. They're being just like him in every single way. And so they're asking for more because, because even though they were filled, for some reason, they needed to be fill, filled again. Because they did, have, they did pour out, but need, they needed more. Yeah. Not for, more for themselves. More so that they could continue to speak the word with boldness. Amen. So that they would continue to pour out. There is a desperate hunger, a desperate thirst yeah. that has risen in us that we need to be filled again. That yesterday's boldness, yesterday's miracles, yesterday's uh, encounters, yesterday's whatever the Father performed in our life and how he moved in power is not enough for me to go ahead and move in power again. I need to be refilled. Why? Because my heart is aligned with him. I am looking for God's name and his renown and I'm looking for the, for the well-being and for the empowerment of his people. This is, God is willing to pour out. On saints that have this kind of heart. Amen. And we need more of him. Amen. Let's go to 2 Peter 1.3 as we're starting to close this message. But don't shut yourself down now. Because we need more. That hunger and that thirsting is for more of him. The anointing will come, but the hunger and the thirsting is to know him more. To know him better. To know his ways and to know his paths. 2 Peter 1.3 says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Saints, his divine power has granted you all things that pertain to life and godliness. And guess how? It's through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. As we are getting to know him more, we are becoming more empowered. As we are pouring ourselves out, we're becoming more and more hungry and thirsty for him and knowing him in a deeper, more intimate way so that we can continue to pour out for others. Let me ask you something, saints. Are you done knowing him? No. no. Have you exhausted the extent to which our majestic God can be known? Absolutely not. Look, the extent of his divine power is available to us, and it's contingent upon the extent of our knowledge of him. We are hungry, and we are thirsty, and we're not thirsty to simply be filled. We're thirsty to be poured out. We are going to seek him because we need more of him, but only to continually display the divine power that is available inside of us as empty jars that are being filled up. So we have a closing passage in Isaiah 60 verse 1, but we're not going to go there yet. Because as we were in worship, we felt what the Father was doing in our midst. And, and we are hungry. Are you hungry? Yeah. Are you thirsty? Yeah. Because it, if you have listened to anything that we have said, I know that you resonate with what is going on in our hearts here up, up here. It resonates with the fact that, yes, sometimes we have grown comfortable. Yes, we are thinking that, that 
today we're going to perform the same things without being filled again. The disciples did not follow that kind of example. When they wanted to rise up, when, before they arise and sh before they shone with the light of God, they, they needed more. They knew, that, they knew that they had it. They knew that it was available. They had been filled, but, but it was, they needed more. They, they just weren't content with what they had in the moment. You know, we are told to be content with our physical possessions. We're told to be content with our wife, our children, our house, what the Father's entrusted in us. But it's never in the Bible, never in the Bible it tells you to be content with the portion of the Spirit that you have received. Never, never does it tell you to be content and to be, and now to relax because you have everything that you need and you didn't need anything else. The, the, the continual example is that there is more. The continual example is that as you pour out, the Father is faithful to multiply that which you poured out of. Yeah. Because He wants that to be replicated in others. It is His best interest. It is His heart's desire that others' jars are filled. He is willing to give us the kingdom. O little flock, that is His desire that we bear much fruit. So this is not, you, we are not asking for something that is against His desires. We're asking for the, his heart's cry that a people would be filled with faith like that woman and would say, yes, I need more. I have oil. I'm going to follow what, what you're telling me, but I, I am trusting that you will multiply it. I am trusting that this oil will be poured out as, or will be multiplied as I pour it out. So today, what, what is inside of our hearts is that we know that for us to accomplish, for, us to, to have, for God's name to be known, renowned, exalted, and for us to continue to pour out, we first need to be refilled. Yeah. We first need to let our hearts cry rise before him in the same way that they did in the book of Acts chapter 4. They came with faith knowing that God would fill them. They came with faith knowing that because they, were gonna, they, needed, it, they needed it to, be, to preach with boldness, they knew that God would fill them again. The, the key to this is that they were willing to pour out. Yeah. Therefore, God multiplied the oil that they had already received. And you see the increase in their people. You see the increase in the people of God. And you we're reading about it. So if you're hungry, if this is awakening any kind of thirst inside of you, for him to pour more oil inside of you, what we want to do is we're gonna, we want to gather as a people. We want you to stand up and gather as a people, meaning come forward. Did anybody else on Sunday feel a sorrow like I did? Anybody feel a grief? If you were engaging with the word that was being preached, were you hearing what was being said? A light is dimming, but, a, but another a dawn is arriving. If you think about that, it feels like something is diminishing. It feels like something is being taken away. In my flesh, I felt a grief. I felt a sorrow. I felt I don't want them to leave. I don't want uh, them to move on. They, I love this family. I love what the Lord is doing here. And it caused me to turn my eyes to the Lord because I didn't know what to do. This is what this was birthed from. This is where the hunger and the thirst started to be stirred up inside of me because it's like, Lord, I know 
that this is what must happen. It is right to your spirit, and it is right in the spirit inside of me. This must happen, Lord. So what must I do now? What must I do? And, the, and he was already telling us, pour out. Pour out so that your light might be passed on, so that the dawn and those coming up behind you might arise. And this is what exactly what Isaiah 60, verse 1 says. Family, I think it's been a while since we've done this. And, and don't, don't take it from me or from Paul. What, the only thing that we've tried to do is inspire you to seek him. That is the only thing we, we've tried to do today. Our heart's desire is that we would all be united as one in the pursuit of his presence so that we would receive the oil that now we can give and knowing that he will multiply it. That is the only thing we've done here. It is not about who's preaching. It is not about whether this was the right word or not. What kind of verses did we use or homiletic? This is about the Father's presence in our midst. We are a people of his possession, a royal priesthood who need to be empowered. I am hungry for more. I'm thirsty for him to move in a way that will tell my children that this is the way that they, the actual kingdom moves. This is the way in which, this is the way they can learn it just by walking with me. And, and I've felt dry at times and I need, and I've realized that and now I have the ability to be filled again. That I don't have to be comfortable and be uh, just let, be in a place where I, ju I just don't need any more. I've seen, I know what is in the Bible. I know that uh, this is what has to take place. I know that this is the way that the apostles move. But, but this is my life. And I'm going to relegate myself to this is, this is how I move. And this is how the Father will move through me. And I'm going to try hard but really not step out in faith. What is in us is that when I look at Valentina, she has to see that the Bible and the book of Acts completely aligns with the way that she was raised up in my home. That is what I'm crying out for. We need to be refilled. I need more. And tomorrow I need more again. Not because I am full, but because I'm continually pouring myself out for others to have that which the Father gives me. So if this is your heart, we're going to pray and this is not going to be a time where... I lead you in prayer. This is gonna be a time in which we pray. This is gonna be a time in which we cry out to our, to our Father because we are gonna rise and the light will shine from us. But before we even arise, we have to be filled. We have to be refilled again today. Amen? Arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Mighty one, we say, let your glory shine on this place, Father. It is for your presence that we are desperate, mighty God. Lord, it is for everything that you are, that we are hungering and we are thirsting, mighty one. Lord, we will not be satisfied with where we were before. God, we will not hold on to what we had yesterday. God, we are pouring out so you can fill us up today. And God, we are motivated to go do it again because this is how we display our love for you. Lord, 
you are shining upon us and we want to rightly reflect you. Would you come and move in this place? Stir up that hunger inside every heart. Stir up that thirsting for only what you can give, mighty God. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Saints, I can feel the presence of the Lord in the room and his affirmation. While we're sitting here, there's some things that I believe that the Spirit has brought to us by the means of our brothers. As men clearly said from 2 Kings 4, that as she poured out, God caused it to be multiplied. In this moment, I can feel Adonai's affirmation on our direction what he is calling us to do as a body. But let me encourage you, the miracle of him pouring into you will not happen here. It will happen as you pour into them. Our God is able to supernaturally sustain us for the sake of those that we are pouring our lives into. I'm gonna to read to you a passage from Judges 5. I want to affirm you. I want to pray with you. And I want you to walk out of here with a holy zeal and boldness like they preached about. Because that's what I intend to do for me and my household. We'll stand together and rather than shrink back, rather than let up, rather than contemplate in fear or be worried about making mistakes, we will pour ourselves out and see God's supernatural hand stretched out. This is from Judges 5. It says, when the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Goes on and says, hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. O Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. Saints, this unique prophetic song not only declares that it's a wonderful thing when the princes of Israel take the lead, Deborah even says that my heart is with those who willingly go out to battle. But God himself moves from Sinai when his people begin to take the lead. So you've been learning this is not about your competency. This is not about your efficiency. This is about your willingness to move in action, doing what God has told you to. And tonight we need to remember that our God is coming behind us. That as we step forward, it is his presence going before us. The one who causes mountains or nations to shake. There reaches a point in every son's life in this room. Young men who've learned all that they can learn. From the fathers that went before them. I don't mean that they've learned everything that the father has to give. I mean that the son has reached the place where he's learned all he can learn from the father. Then a wonderful process happens. That son begins to have children of his own. 
he begins to learn what it is to pour in to others and all of a sudden there's a new relationship sparked with his father we're at a place in many of your lives where you've been at LCM, you've been developed, you have been trained, but what is in store for you lies as you are pouring into others. As you learn to father those that are around you, knowing that you will fail, that you will make mistakes, Adonai will renew the relationships of discipleship that you have and he will pour into you and empower you to do so. Amen. This body is growing up. We're not only at fighting age, we are reproducing and we will produce fathers in this house. You are the men for the job. You are the mothers in Israel who can sing and encourage the sons as they go out to battle. God will anoint you for the task. If you feel like you've personally grown, but are terrified at the idea of being responsible for other lives that weren't born to you. Then as we pray, remember the days that God first gave you a child and the way that was, that was an awesome responsibility and yet you learned more through that day? If you're in this room training to be a father, you want to be that. Remember that example that is set before you, the men whom you want to be like became that way from pouring themselves out beyond their own capacity. None of us are allowed to operate within our own limits. Our God expands our limits and supplies us when we stretch out in willingness, when we stretch out in this kind of faith. So let's begin to pray that God would show us, direct us, and give us the opportunity to put this word into practice and that as we expend ourselves physically, spiritually in every area, that his supernatural oil would pour into us as we go. Father, I lift up to you the fathers that are in this house. Lord, I thank you for men like Brandon. I thank you for men like Nolan Hewitt. Lord, as you are causing them to extend their hands into the sons that are in their lives, that you would pour your oil into them. Lord, I thank you for grandfathers in this house like the elders that we have. Lord, we ask that you would cause a renewal of relationship between these men and the leaders that are here. Lord, as there is a stretching, as there is a fatherhood that is born, Lord, that it would cause a holy dependency to rise. The questions from this house, Lord, would arise that produce men who are capable ministers. Lord, I thank you for the new children that you're giving families in this house. Lord, I ask you to begin to prepare them with spiritual sons here and now. Lord, let your hand rest upon us. Lord, we trust that as we stretch out in faith, that as we summon the willingness, mighty one, but that you will cause mountains to shake and your oil will pour through us, mighty king. We praise your name and we commit our hands to you this evening. Amen and amen. Yeah.